Welcome back to the Dirt Show. As we all know, yesterday was the most important day in the year in any democracy, namely uh, Election Day. I, I love Election Day. Uh, when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I would always look forward to going to the local school nearby, uh, standing online, uh, talking to my neighbors, uh, discussing politics, um, seeing people uh, a little further away holding posters for people I voted for, voted against. Uh, democracy in action. And that's what uh, Election Day is. I bemoan the fact that uh, Election Day has lo lost a lot of its personality as a result of absentee voting, uh, as a result of uh, early voting, as a result of uh, a range of other understandable innovations uh, that have uh, made Election Day, less of something that's personal and something that uh, you can see and visibly touch. Now, um, you know, when, when, when you used to vote, I used to vote in Cambridge, Massachusetts with paper ballots. And, and um, the, today we don't have paper ballots anymore. And so uh, we have machine voting and machine voting is obviously subject to uh, uh, to all kinds of changes. I have to take one second, please, because something's happened in a production. I cannot uh, have the background noise. Okay, let's get back. I'm sorry. Um, by accident, there was another program on that I was hearing, and it was um, getting me a little confused. And so uh, uh, it's off now. And um, I'm happy to continue with the discussion. So we had election day uh, yesterday. I, I didn't go to the polls uh, to vote. I vote in, in Florida. And so uh, I voted by absentee ballot. I voted uh, for losers mostly um, and uh, some winners. And uh, let me give you my analysis of, of the results. Obviously, I've watched the results late into the night. And I watched the results um, uh, this morning, and I continued to watch them until about a minute uh, before uh, we got on, on the air. And uh, the one thing that's clear is that nothing's clear, uh, that we still don't know for sure who will control the House, who will control the Senate. We know that the predictions of a Republican red wave did not come true, that uh, apparently uh, the House, the Democrats, lost fewer seats uh, in an off-year election uh, after a presidential election than in many, many, many years. In other words, uh, the, the Democrats have been much, much better than expected. We don't know as we sit here today whether or not um, the Republicans will control the House or the Democrats will control the House. There's, there's another issue then, too. If the Republicans control the House by a narrow majority, will there be enough Republicans to elect uh, McCarthy to be uh, Speaker of the House? He needs to get if it's a close uh, division in the House, he needs to get uh, virtually all the votes of Republicans. And there are some Republican mavericks. We saw what happened uh, this year with at least uh, two Republicans who served on the January 6th uh, committee. Uh, they were uh, hardly Republicans when it came to uh, voting their, their, their party line. You've got to give them credit for, for doing that. One of them lost re-election. The other wasn't running for re-election at all. So how do I analyze the results of, of this election? I have to tell you, I think they were a great victory for Joe Biden uh, and for centrism and for moderation. 
um, uh, he emerged as uh, somebody uh, who brought stability to the country. A lot of the candidates he endorsed uh, won. A lot of the candidates that Donald Trump endorsed lost. Each of them had losses and wins. It, there's, there's no large determining factor. But presidents, I remember um, um, I had dinner with Bill Clinton when he was president um, uh, shortly before uh, the midterm election after the year he was uh, uh, elected president, and he expected and got a, an enormous, enormous loss in, in the House of Representatives that was the contract for America, uh, a year when his agenda was stalled completely. And that's very commonly the situation. The incumbent president loses the House. And, and there's an institutional reason, historic reason for that as well. You know, the framers of our country did not adopt the parliamentary system. The parliamentary system, there's one institution, the parliament, it makes all the decisions. There's no separation of powers. There's no checks and balances. It's parliament prevails. Uh, in England, you know, they've introduced a little bit of judicial review, not much. It used to be until fairly recently that the essentially Supreme Court of England, the high court, was part of the House of Lords, part of the legislation part of the legislature. That's that's no longer as true. But in our country, we anticipated a situation where the president would be of one party, the House of another party, and perhaps the Senate of either the party of the House or the party of the president. And it's likely we're going to get that. We don't know for sure. Um, we know that uh, in, in Georgia, there's going to be a runoff for at least one Senate seat. So we won't know the outcome of that election until um, um, more than a month from now. Um, that may determine whether the Senate is split 50-50, which makes it a Democratic Senate because the vice president can cast the deciding vote, or whether the Republicans can manage to get over the line and get 51 seats. We won't probably know that. We may know more of that in the next day or so, but it's likely we won't know the full answer until the runoff between um, uh, the two candidates in uh in georgia for for the senate the house will probably know much better there are some very closely contested elections uh, right now the republicans are in the lead but do they have enough to actually take control and as i mentioned a minute ago does mccarthy have enough to become speaker of the house you don't automatically become speaker of the house if your party wins the election you have to then get a majority of the house and that requires that uh uh, you get an overwhelming majority of your own party, and there are those in the party who will negotiate with him. And uh, I think in the end, if the Republicans have uh, a majority in the House, McCarthy will probably become the speaker uh, with some deals made behind, behind the scenes. Is there any general conclusion one can draw from, from yesterday's election? Again, it's not over. There could be some surprises. But in general, in general, extremists lost. In general, in general, uh, Republicans who were election deniers um, did not uh, have uh, as much success as more moderate uh, Republicans. Of course, there were some election deniers uh, who won, and there were some extremists on the Republican side who won, and there were some extremists on the Democrat side uh, who won. Um, but uh, in contested elections, I think the message was that Americans would like to move closer to the to the center and away from 
extremes, either left uh, or right. And that's why, in, in this respect, whatever you might think of President Biden and whatever you might think of his cognitive abilities, and I've known him for uh, 42 years and I haven't seen any major change in his cognitive abilities, uh, but whatever you might think, I think it's fair to say he is a president for the times um, because he is a person who unites more than divides. He is not an extremist. Uh, he is not somebody who appeals to extremist voters. The, the people on the hard, hard, hard left of the Democratic Party don't like him, um, unlike President Trump, who the people on the extreme right of the Republican Party did like. Uh, President Trump was a divisive uh, factor. And I think President Biden is a uniting factor. Uh, there are many things that Biden is doing and has done that I fundamentally disagree with. And there are many things that Trump did that I fundamentally agree with. But in terms of leading the country at this time, we are more divided than at any time in my adult life. Uh, and I lived through the Vietnam War, which was a very divisive time on university campuses and on the streets. But I think the country is more divided now than ever. People just can't have conversations. And President Biden today in his press conference, by the way, I urge you to watch if you can see uh, a, a replay of his press conference. I thought he was quite good. Um, he talked about conversations becoming more normal. He thought that we were moving a little bit in that direction. Well, if there are conversations at all, uh, that's become a, a big deal. As I said before, today we couldn't on most college campuses have the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Um, and um, last night, actually, I spoke at Columbia Law School uh, to a group of both Columbia Law students and undergraduate students sponsored by the Federalist Society. We had a very interesting debate with another professor, a professor from Columbia Law School, and uh, the debate was over Roe versus Wade and whether the overruling of Roe versus Wade constituted judicial activism. I'm not going to get into the merits of the debate, except it was an extraordinary debate. Uh, both sides were really good. Um, um, we talked to each other. Uh, at one point, my opponent persuaded me of something, and I admitted that uh, I hadn't known that, and I was uh, persuaded. Um, students asked terrific, terrific questions. And you know, I ended the debate by saying what a remarkable moment in modern American history this was. Uh, I'm not sure this debate could have occurred uh, in many universities at Berkeley or at Harvard or uh, at Yale or, or at other places. Uh, it was sponsored by the Federalist Society, which is more conservative than I am, but is open to speakers of all points of view and they've contributed a lot to, to dialogue. And so, the debate went forward and it was a it was an excellent debate. I think everybody who came over, people on the right, people on the left, people who are Democrats, people who are Republicans, all said, wow, it was a good conversation. And um, it was nuanced. Uh, there was no shouting. There was no name calling. There was no insults. Uh, I go back again to the time that I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate and made a constitutional argument, which the vast majority of scholars would have agreed with, had I made it on behalf of Hillary Clinton, namely that to impeach a president requires either a crime, treason, bribery, or criminal type behavior akin to treason and bribery. That's the meaning of or other high crimes and misdemeanors. That would have been an interesting debate. Nobody, not a single academic was prepared to debate me on that issue. They were prepared to call me names. They were prepared to stop talking to me. 
They were prepared to yell at me. They were prepared to insult me. Uh, Professor Lawrence Tribe called the argument bonkers. I guarantee you, if the same argument was made on behalf of Hillary Clinton, he would have been in support of the argument. He probably would have made it himself. But um, that's the nature of, of academia uh, today. No debates, just bumper stickers and screaming and yelling and insulting and choosing sides. And, you know, if you're on the wrong side, you're on the wrong side. In fact, uh, some of the people who are most upset at uh, the decision yesterday by my uh, accuser to finally admit that she may have made a mistake in identifying me, the people who were most upset were people who hated me for defending Trump. Now, they had no idea whether I was innocent or guilty. They just hoped I was guilty because I was on the wrong side of the Trump issue. I surely should be on the wrong side of this issue as well. And, you know, that's become a real serious problem uh, in America. If you're on the wrong side of a political issue, then people think you're on the wrong side of every issue. So what's the message to the Democrats and the Republicans? I, I think the message is nominate moderates. Uh, Biden in his press conference today didn't announce that he was going to run, but he said he wanted to run and subject to discussions with his family. Uh, he's, he's going to run. Uh, I think yesterday's election results probably inclined him in the direction of, of running. Um, he was asked who would make a stronger candidate, DeSantis or, or Trump, and, and his answer was, well, I, I'm anxious to see them go after each other. I don't know whether DeSantis would run against Trump. He certainly positioned himself as the alternative to Trump if Trump doesn't run. And obviously, as you know from the Constitution, he can't run with Trump. There can't be a Trump to Sanctus ticket, which would Sanctus ticket, it would be a good ticket. But it can't happen under the Constitution because the Constitution provides that electors uh, cannot vote for uh, two people, for electors from a state cannot vote for two people from the state. So if, if, if Trump and DeSantis ran, um, that ticket would lose all of the Florida electoral votes, Florida being what, the third largest uh, state or the second, I don't remember, but it's way up there. Um, uh, so no, no party would ever nominate two people from the same state and lose the electors from that state. And so I don't know uh, who's going to get the Republican nomination. I would think that uh, Trump would have looked at yesterday's results and shaken his head a little bit and said, maybe not. And, and I think that anybody looking at today's press conference would also say that, you know, although we have two years to go, uh, Biden is not senile. Biden is not mentally disturbed. Biden is a, a very, very decent, strong candidate who beat Trump legitimately, both in the uh, popular vote and the electoral vote. And I think would beat him again, legitimately, depending on the health, obviously, of of both of the candidates. They're both among the oldest uh, people who have ever uh, served and run for uh, president. And that's a factor. But I think uh, the population is aging. The population is getting older. Um, it probably hasn't been until recently that an 84-year-old guy like me would be having a podcast and having to uh, speak for, what, 20 minutes spontaneously uh, without notes about uh, complex subjects. Um, but I think um, age, um, you know, 80 is the new 60 and um, 70 is the new 50. So uh, I, I would not be surprised if I had to bet widows and orphans money, money that couldn't be lost uh, on what the uh, tickets will be uh, in 2024. I would say the smart money would be on 
Trump versus uh, Biden, and then the smart money would be on Biden winning a second, a second term. I don't know the answer to that. I think the Democrats would be foolish and would shoot themselves in the foot if they regained uh, control of the House and Senate and tried to disqualify Trump from running on the grounds of the 14th Amendment that he led an insurrection or something like that. I think that just plays into the hands of Trump and makes him a hero and makes his base even more anxious. Uh, I would be strongly opposed to that. I want my constitutional right to vote against Trump. I don't want him disqualified. I want him to run so I can vote against him for the third time. Uh, Anything could happen in the next two years, and it's really the next year, because a year from now we'll already be into the presidential election season, certainly um, uh, 15 or 16 months from now. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think the election, the lesson of, of the current election is both parties should stay away from extremism. Uh, both parties should try to marginalize the extremists. Both parties suffer from extremism. I think Democrats across the country lose votes because of the Ilan Omeras and the um, uh, AOCs and, and, and people like that. And I think that Republicans lose votes because of the Greens and, uh, and, and others um, who are extremists within, within the party. Americans are centrist people. Uh, that's why Biden won the election. Um, centrist people, they're people who have always rejected extremes. Again, one bit of history. In the 1920s and 1930s, all through Europe, um, the countries were divided between communists and fascists. Um, there were wars, obviously. Um, in Spain, uh, the fascists fought the communists. Uh, in France, the fascists ran against the communists. Germany, we know what happened. The fascists won. The United States was not afflicted by that uh, dichotomy. In the United States, there were fascists. They lived just a few blocks away from where I live now in, in, in Yorkville, Second Avenue in the 70s or 80s. Uh, they had Nazi events in Madison Square Garden where people did Heil Hitler salutes and proudly proclaim their allegiance to the fascists and to the Nazi party. We had supporters of Mussolini uh, in this country. And we had communists, of course. We had people on the left. We had a communist uh, from my neighborhood uh, who was a member of Congress. And so there were extremists, but the country wasn't extremism. The country elected Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt ended the Depression and, and brought about the New Deal. And he saved capitalism through... I wouldn't say socialism, it wasn't socialism, but a movement in the direction of um, welfare, in the direction of social security, in the direction of, of fair labor laws. He moved the country left-ish to avoid it moving all the way to the left, which would have provoked a tremendous amount of support for people on the right. So the American history has been a history of rejecting extremism, even during the period where slave uh, owners uh, and abolitionists were, were fighting, and those were, were extreme positions, the end result were compromises, compromises in the Constitution, legislative compromises. Ultimately, that issue couldn't be compromised, and, and a war was fought, the worst war in the history of the United States. More Americans were killed on the North and the South during the Civil War than in any other war before or, or since. So 
There are some issues that can't be compromised, but in general, Americans are a compromising people. And Joe Biden represents that compromising nature. He can cross uh, party lines and uh, he can negotiate with people on the other side. Many on the hard left criticize him for having done so. And he has done so. And some on the hard right uh, criticize both him and and, and, and members of the Republican Party who have um, made compromises. Uh, but I think that's the American way. And if I were the head of the Republican National Committee, or if I were the head of the Democratic National Committee, I would be now moving toward trying to create a ticket uh, for 2024 with a moderate president, moderate vice president, um, and moderate uh, members of the House and the Senate running together. Now, one question that's going to be very interesting, maybe we'll spend a, a half an hour discussing it one day, is if Joe Biden runs, and I think he will if he's healthy, um, will he keep his vice president? Uh, because I think everybody at that point will say whoever the vice president is for a second term Biden is very likely to become president because the demographics and the statistics show that um, um, living to the age that would end a second Biden term is uh, statistically uh, less likely than the opposite. So just like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, when he nominated vice president and changed his vice president from Wallace to Truman in the 44 election, he knew that whoever was the vice president would become the president because although he was only in his 60s, he had terrible, terrible health conditions, including extraordinary high blood pressure, uh, to which he eventually succumbed only a year into his presidency. And so I think there's going to be a lot of debate among Democrats as to who the vice president should be. I don't think Joe Biden is going to kick her off the ticket, but it would not surprise me to find that, um, that uh, she gets a really good position um, and, and has no choice but to take it maybe even on the Supreme Court of the United States. She is, after all, a lawyer and a, and a prosecutor um, or some other position, a high cabinet position, so that it could be perceived as a promotion rather than a demotion. Everybody would know what it really was. So uh, I don't know who the vice president on the Democratic side will be. And let's assume Trump does run. I don't know who the vice president on the Republican uh, side would be, because, again, he'd be he'd be quite old. Um, would it be Nikki Haley? Um, she's young and vibrant and uh, represents a, a more centrist approach uh, to the party. What if DeSantis is the nominee? Who would he uh, nominate to be the vice president? These are interesting and difficult issues. And uh, the election uh, yesterday, I think, bore on all these issues. So I'm interested in your views. I know that the rumble people will say we stopped listening the minute you said that the press conference by Joe Biden was good and that he's president for the time. I know that. But uh, the YouTube uh, listeners probably will have a, a more uh, rational uh, approach. So speaking of that, let's let's turn uh, to letters. Remember yesterday I spoke about uh, the accusation against me and the admission by the accuser that she may have uh, misidentified me. Um, first question, how much did you pay her? Nothing, not a penny, not a single penny, nothing, not a nothing at all. Okay, um, uh, but nobody seems to, to believe that because a lot of letters ask me the same question. These are, again, all the rumble letters. Uh, 
And then here's another one. If she misidentified me, it must have been, and this is from the letter, this is from R-Y-I-R-M, must have been some other hook-nosed Jew. Well, thank you for expressing your anti-Semitism in a way that's so obvious to everybody. Um, Next one. She may have erred, but those recognizing you are an Israel, but those recognizing you are an Israel first depraved Zionist are on the money. It's the Benjamins, baby. That's why I'm a Zionist. I've been a Zionist since I'm less than 10 years old. I went to a Camp Mossad, a Hebrew speaking Zionist camp in 1948, the year Israel was established. And the counselor of my division was Noam Chomsky, who himself was a Zionist in those days. Yeah, I'm a Zionist. I'm a proud Zionist. I'm critical of every government, including the Israeli government, but I am a proud Zionist. Okay. Interesting. Have you recognized that you erred in defaming Mastriano by accusing him of anti-Semitism? No, I haven't. Uh, Thankfully, Mastriano lost overwhelmingly, ironically, to a a Jewish candidate who sent his children to Jewish day school. And it was anti-Semitic to uh, criticize him uh, for for doing that and also for associating uh, and paying money to and receiving money from uh, overtly anti-Semitic groups. So uh, he's a perfect example. Mastriani is an extremist, an election denier, and he went down to defeat it wasn't even a close race. And that's what the Republicans are going to get if you nominate people like Mastriano. Mastriano does not deserve to belong on the ticket of a great party, the Republican Party. And the American people and the people of Pennsylvania told the Republicans so in no uncertain terms. The Republicans could have won that race. Um, they you know, came very, very close in, in the Senate race, but uh, they're not going to come close if they have uh, a bigot like Mastriano running for um, for governor. So I'm glad he lost. Uh, does Alan Dershowitz think Gouffre may also have made a mistake when she accused Prince Andrew? I have no idea. Um, it's, it's a big difference. I mean, nobody can confuse Prince Andrew. Um, nobody could create a case of mistaken identification uh, with Prince Andrew, I think. Uh, he was very, very well known. I was not. And remember, this goes back to 2000 and 2001, um, um, some 17 or 18 year old probably never heard of me, probably didn't know who I was, probably wasn't watching whatever channels I was on those days. So I I don't think um, my case uh, says anything directly about uh, about uh, Prince Prince Andrew. I have said I don't think Prince Andrew should have settled this case. I think he could have won the case, and I suspect mommy told him to settle it, and I think he made a a big mistake in doing so. Um, uh, Next question. Uh, She didn't say you didn't do it, but that she may be wrong. She received $16 million from Prince Andrew. I can't confirm that. Uh, The accusations have not been put to rest. Why aren't you suing? Well, I did. I sued. I sued her. Um, uh, She has acquired a lot of money. She might have made a mistake by identifying Prince Andrew. You called her a liar, and now you're letting her off the hook. Everyone I know who has accused you say you paid her off. Well, you know, you can say whatever you want. You can also say 
I went on Jeffrey Epstein's uh, airplanes with her. The, the uh, Obviously, the manifest proved exactly the opposite. Or that I was on her island when, when she was there. No, I wasn't. And the travel records proved the opposite. Or that I was at his ranch. No, the travel records proved the opposite. You can say I paid her off. What did I do? Pay her in cash? Uh, she lives in Australia. There are records of every payment made all the time. I guarantee you I did not pay her a penny, never would pay her a penny. And, uh, but you can continue to believe anything you want. You're conspiracy theorists. And uh, that's the problem in America today. People believe things without there being any evidentiary support. Dershowitz's name is on Epstein's flight log. How many times? Zero with any young women or Virginia Gouffre. Zero, zero, zero. I was his lawyer. The legal team flew on his plane with just men and lawyers. Uh, so, yes, I was on his flight log a, a, a couple of not nearly as many times as Bill Clinton and not nearly as many times as other people. And um, every trip uh, is documented and I can prove where I was going, who I was going and who was on the plane. The manifest show who was on the plane. And they conclusively show that I was never on the plane or never, ever in proximity to the woman who accused me. And she's essentially uh, her statement uh, does not contradict that. Uh, uh, okay, this is a silly one. I'm going to skip this one. Um, so happy for you and your family. A mistake? Now the media needs to correct this injustice. Well, I, I, the media has done a pretty good job. In reporting on this, but uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to, within the constraints of what I'm allowed to say, uh, say anything. What I want to say is, I want all the records, every single deposition, every single flight manifest, every single video, every single tape recording released. I hereby waive my right of privacy to anything. I want everything out there. I don't want anything kept secret. I don't want anything suppressed. I want everything out there because I have nothing to hide. And um, the people who Generally, when people want to keep things secret, there's a good reason for it. They have something to hide. I do not. I never believe the accusation, says Catherine. We live at a time when people are accused of terrible things, even decades after the alleged incident, without the accuser showing credible evidence. It boggles the mind that people are so susceptible to believe such accusations and that someone's reputation can be ruined by unfounded charges. Um, well, I, I think that's, that's, that's right. And fortunately, I was able to uh, fight those charges and bring about the result that was brought about uh, yesterday. What I would like to know is which of Gouffre's legal team persuaded her to include the professor's name. Uh, they knew Alan was innocent and switched the names around from Gouffre's previous story. Well, I know who they were. Um, they were uh, two lawyers. Um, uh, and uh, her, this is all a matter of record. Her best friend testified uh, and um, uh, have, a, have a tape recording in which they indicate that she was pressured by her lawyers to, uh, to name me. Um, and I know who the two lawyers uh, are. Um, I, I would like to be able to disclose their names um, one of them is a former judge, uh, and um, uh, but uh, I'm 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 a bit constrained. I don't think I'm constrained in naming them because they're not part of the the lawsuit. But they appear all over the testimony, and when 
when the testimony becomes public, so much more will be known about this case and, and fingers of blame will be appropriately appointed at the people who are responsible for what could have been a terrible miscarriage of justice. But I have to give credit to Virginia Gouffre for coming forward finally after too many years, but finally acknowledging that she may have made a mistake in identifying me. So uh, thank you for doing that. And that ended the case for me and uh, going on to do, to do other things, make more enemies, attack more people, defend more civil liberties and uh, provoke more controversies uh, on this podcast. So I'll see you next week.